Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson nationwide. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on this year program. Uh, so, you know, I, every hour I kind of give the hour a title. I have to do this. My producer makes me for podcast purposes. The title that I gave for this hour is Everything Biden Touches Breaks. He's about to break the Middle East. <sighs> I Listen, there, there are a lot of things I could start the day with. Katanji Brown-Jackson, uh, the Hunter Biden stuff. Oh, we'll get there. Uh, Ron DeSantis versus Larry Hogan, the, the mysterious Trump phone call log. That's not mysterious at all. Ukraine. There's a lot, but I, the biggest news and the news that very few are talking about the news that is actually going to be the most consequential for the next decade is the Iran deal that Joe Biden seems to want to pass and possibly has the votes to get through Congress. The Iran deal is rather monumental because it has a lot to do with the magical thinking of the Biden administration right now. The The magical thinking of the Biden administration, and this comes from progressive think tanks, and, and I should note the contrasts here. When Donald Trump said that he wanted to find a new path forward in the Middle East. Everyone said it was impossible that you could not get peace with Israel unless you resolved the situation with the Palestinians. This was conventional wisdom at the time, that you you could not find any path forward unless there was also some way to deal with the Palestinian situation. Uh, no peace in the Middle East. And it was a remarkable bit of arrogance to think that uh, we would ever be in this sort of situation, to be in a situation where you would think that you had to do an all-or-nothing take in the Middle East and if you did not do an all-or-nothing take in the Middle East, uh, you couldn't get anything done. But that was the position of not just Democrats, of not just of John Kerry. That was literally the position of every major talking head in Washington, D.C. And Donald Trump thought differently. And in large part, if we're intellectually honest here, one of the things Donald Trump did was say, basically, we're leaving. You're on your own now. We're gone. And it forced Israel and its Middle Eastern partners to collaborate with each other. Y'all, for perspective, I grew up in the Middle East. I was there for a decade. And in that decade, you could not call Israel. The phone exchange literally could not connect to Israel. My textbooks growing up never mentioned Israel. The pages were either cut out or blacked out. If you went to the local library and you pulled out the encyclopedia and you went to the eyes and you flipped to Israel, it did not exist. The maps either said Palestine or they were blacked out. The situation until October of 2020 was one where Israel did not exist. 
except as a demon state of Satan's, been on persecuting Palestinians and Arabs. But because of Donald Trump and the Abraham Accords, Israel just hosted a conference of Middle Eastern leaders, including the Saudis, something impossible up until two years ago because of Donald Trump. He rethought it and brought peace to the area in large part because he said, y'all are going to have to figure this thing out yourselves. And they did. And they did because of Iran. If you live in the Middle East, if you have lived in the Middle East, one of the things you come to realize is that Iran truly is the existential threat to Middle Eastern countries. Iran is the Soviet Union to the West. Iran has an entity called the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. It is not, contrary to popular opinion, the military. Iran has a military. The Iran Revolutionary Guard's entire job is to fund and train global terrorists. They have funded and trained the Houthi, who are now at war with Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. They have funded and trained Hezbollah. And they have also funded and trained and propped up the Syrian regime. Now, you need to understand something about the Syrian regime. The Nazis were not just a German party. I know this is new history for a lot of people because you don't get this history from American classrooms. But the Nazis were a global brand. And the Nazis trained, propped up, and funded other countries and other political parties that were Nazi-allied. The Nazi party of the Middle East was called the Ba'athist party. The Ba'athists were Nazis. The Ba'athists continued after Germany fell. You may have heard of one of the leading Ba'athist party members of the Middle East. His name was Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein led the Ba'athist party of Iraq. The Ba'athist party of Iraq was the National Socialist Party of Iraq. They had been funded in World War II by the Nazis. They were Nazis. They hate Jews. They're very secular. They're very technocratic. It's a problem. You know who else has a Ba'athist party? The Syrians. Hafez al-Assad was for a long time the leader of Syria, and he was the leader of the Ba'athist party of Syria. For a time, Syria and Egypt were in union together. The Egyptians finally had enough and got, got rid of them. But the Ba'athists remained in Syria. They have funded the Muslim Brotherhood and other successors to Nazism. I'm not making this up. This doesn't get talked about much in American history. And the Iranians have been funding them. The Iranians have been funding them because the Iranians are a theocracy headed by an ayatollah. The Ayatollah commands the theocratic and the military and the political power of Iran. He is a theocrat. The uh, Iranians are Shiite Muslims. The Shiite Muslims and the Sunni Muslims broke apart in the 700s AD after the death of the Prophet Muhammad. The Sunnis believe that any noble, righteous, humble man who was an adherent of the Prophet Muhammad could lead uh, Muslims. The Shiites believed only a descendant of Muhammad could lead the Muslims. So the Shiites are the closest thing you have. The Ayatollah 
of Iran is the closest thing you have almost to a pope in Shiite Islam. And it's not only a cult, it's a death cult of people who want to bring about the apocalypse to bring back the Mahdi along with Jesus who will assist the Mahdi in bringing about the end of the world and then bringing about the new heavens and the new earth. The Iranian people themselves are largely secular. The Iranian people themselves are wonderful human beings. Some of my best friends growing up were from Iran. In fact, one of my best friends growing up, his grandfather had been the personal bodyguard to the Shah of Iran, stayed behind and was able to get his family out of Iran over the mountains into the Soviet Union where they fled and they wound up in the United Arab Emirates. The Iranian people are pro-Western, American, wonderful people, but they are oppressed. And the Biden administration has decided to become Neville Chamberlain. The Biden administration has all the arrogance and hubris of Neville Chamberlain, who went to Germany, struck up a deal with the Nazis and declared peace in our times. And the Biden administration wants to declare peace in the Middle East with the successor Nazi ideology regime of the Ayatollah of Iran. And it's causing a panic in the Middle East. It's causing a foreseeable real panic in the Middle East in large part because they know what's going to happen. You're not cutting a deal with the Iranian people. You're cutting a deal with the Ayatollah. And one of the chief issues of that deal is how to deal with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, a program that funds terrorism globally. You're going to provide them funding. You're going to allow them to sell oil. What do you think they're going to do with the funding from the oil? The Iranian Revolutionary Guard literally funds terrorism around the world. And the Biden administration, like Neville Chamberlain, believes that if we strike this deal with Iran, that we'll have peace. They want to take the Iranian Revolutionary Guard off the terror watch list. They want to allow the Iranian Revolutionary Guard to travel the world. Now, why do they want to do this? They want to do it because Barack Obama wanted to do it. And Barack Obama wanted to do it because Barack Obama looked at the situation in the Middle East and the status quo in the Middle East, and he decided to think differently about it, like Donald Trump. The problem is that Donald Trump was surrounded with people who liked Israel and liked Saudi Arabia and liked the United Arab Emirates and liked our allies. And so when Donald Trump thought differently about it, he realized that if we could somehow abdicate our position in the Middle East while maintaining our friendships with those countries, those countries would be forced to work together. But the left doesn't like Israel. The left is full of Jew haters. The left genuinely is full of people who hate Jews and hate Israel and hate the idea of a Zionist state. They hate Saudi Arabia. They hate the United Arab Emirates. They do not like any of these parties. They do not like any of them. Why? Why? Because of oil. Saudi Arabia controls the global oil market. Oil is killing the planet. Better to have a destabilized Saudi Arabia and a destabilized Jewish state. So cut a deal with Iran and you can say you brought peace to the Middle East.
What you brought to the Middle East is a terror regime hell-bent on funding terrorists to overthrow the existing states of the Middle East to further disrupt and destabilize the oil supply for the Middle East so we can be pushed further into high prices and a Green New Deal. Here's Pete Buttigieg. Less dependent on foreign oil, and that protects us from shortages at, at fuel stations. But here's the thing to remember. Even if all of the oil we use in the USA were made in the USA, the price of it is still subject to powers and dynamics outside of the USA, which means that until we achieve a form of energy independence that is based on clean energy created here at home, American citizens will still be vulnerable to wild price hikes like we're seeing right now. So you destabilize the Middle East by propping up a terror regime and allowing its terror masters to run the world and sell their oil to get more money to fund more terrorism. Remember, those terrorists recently tried to bomb Saudi oil manufacturing and refining facilities and those in Abu Dhabi. Suddenly, you have higher oil prices, higher gas prices, and a stronger demand for the argument that, well, if we just go to clean energy, that will make that will fund Iran less, that will help us more. They've decided to rethink global politics based on the climate change left's antagonistic relationship with oil and the progressive left's antagonistic relationship with Jews. And what's going to happen is a lot of people in the next decade are going to die because the Biden regime, like the Neville Chamberlain uh, prime ministership of Great Britain, really believes he can get peace in our time with successor ideologies to the Nazi party. And it's going to end just as badly as it did with Neville Chamberlain. We are literally about to fund a regime that has an entire agency dedicated to funding and training terrorists around the world. That's what Joe Biden's administration intends to do and probably has the votes to get it all through Congress, too. All right. Look, I got to talk about the Trump phone calls for a minute. My gosh. One of the most annoying habits, one of the most annoying problems in being on the Internet, on social media and on talk radio, is you get these phone calls from people or tweets saying, Why haven't you talked about the issue I care about? I mean, these unhinged people where in all of the world, their issue, that one issue, you must have an opinion on. And I got a lot of angry emails and tweets from people. You haven't talked about the Trump phone calls. Where's the missing log? Why won't you talk about it, you Trump humper? Well, the reason I haven't talked about the Trump story is it sounded too good to be true. Uh, Over the last five years, inevitably, If Donald Trump, if there was a breathtaking, salacious report from the media about Donald Trump, you kind of knew that it was going to be overwrought and overplayed and probably not true. Remember all the beginning of the end nonsense? Remember that? It was the the beginning of the end. Uh, It was always doom and gloom. Impeachment was coming. And and all the reports always, it turns out they got them wrong. So here comes a report over a week ago now. There's seven hours of missing Trump phone calls. It's worse than Watergate. 
I mean, literally, there were where there were prognosticators, pundits, opinion people, and journalists out there saying this is worse than Watergate. We had missing tapes there. We have missing phone logs the day of an insurrection. He's covering something up. Actually, uh, no, nope. So it turns out uh, there are lots of reasons why and nothing to do with they were deleting records. Uh, So he had an assistant who was out of the office that morning, and that assistant logged the phone calls, and the assistant was not there to log the phone calls. Uh, Those phone calls are also only logged if they're done in the Oval Office, not if they're done in the residency. The president was to some degree in the residency. They have those phone logs. They're not documented phone logs because those aren't un- those aren't documented the way the ones in the Oval Office were. There's no cover up here. There's no sinister nature here, and yet you've got people freaking out about this. Listen to Tiffany Cross. This is I-, I did not think it would be possible for MSNBC to hire someone dumber than Joy Reid, but they have managed to surprise me with Tiffany Cross. Let's get into this because I, I got to talk to you about this eight-hour gap in Trump's phone calls uh, as hundreds of his violent supporters, to remind our viewers, stormed the Capitol beat police and interrupted the certification of Biden's election victory. Honestly, Ellie, the ghetto president that they thought Obama would be is officially Donald Trump. This dude is walking like he's Bodie from the wire with burner phones and erasing phone records. How are they able to do that? And who exactly would be the person to make these call logs disappear? Remember, the reason why we want to know what's on the call logs, who he called, is because we're trying to figure out if during the eight hours when the government was under attack uh, sent by forces sent there by Donald Trump, if Donald Trump did anything to protect the country. Now, notice notice the the how he's subtly correcting this Eli missile himself, not a not a bright bulb in the sky, uh, bright bulb in the ceiling. She thinks that Donald Trump's deleting records to show he's organizing the insurrection. What uh, Eli Missile subtly uh, corrects her on is actually, no, this is to see, did he send troop? Did he call anyone to try to figure out what was going on and take action to protect Congress, not to actually stir up the mob? But it turns out, by the way, um, that the records are there. There was no cover-up. There was no deleting of records like something out of the wire. Uh, None of what was originally reported turned out to be accurate. It all turns out there are plausible, reasonable, rational explanations for what happened. In large part, the call logs depend on where calls were made, and also the secretary who did the documentation was out that morning, so some of it didn't happen. Hello there. Yes, you can be a part of the program here if you like. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I've been thinking, which is always a dangerous thing for me to do, we we have to acknowledge. But it, it comes on the heels of this Larry Hogan thing. Larry Hogan is the governor of Maryland. Uh, Senate Republicans tried to recruit him to the Senate. He would be a reliable Republican vote in the Senate. But he is otherwise fairly well a progressive, uh, I shouldn't say progressive, he's a liberal Republican. He's not a moderate, he's a liberal Republican. And he was on uh, CNN State of the Union with Dana Bash, was asked about the Florida stuff uh, with the uh, parental rights and education bill that the left calls the Don't Say Gay bill. Your fellow Republican governor, DeSantis in Florida, he suggested that he will retaliate against Disney 
after it criticized Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay bill, which bans certain instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in the classroom. What's your reaction to that? And then more broadly, what do you make of that legislation? And uh, Hogan went on to criticize what uh, DeSantis did, said it, he, he didn't think it was a very serious thing. Uh, DeSantis should leave these companies alone, criticized DeSantis for what he was doing. I've been thinking a lot about this of late because uh, I've got to tell you, I've got friends who think we are in a post-constitutional order. I wrote about this this morning. Uh, we, we, I've got friends who think we're in a post-constitutional order now, that the Constitution doesn't really matter. Uh, and I know some of you believe this as well. And the reason I think people believe this is because they feel like we're in some sort of uh, never-ending existential crisis where the other side is out to get us. I dare say this has a lot to do with why so many people on the right are fixated on Viktor Orban in Hungary who won re-election. And as an aside, let me talk about that for just a minute here. If you listen to certain segments of the right right now, you find an infatuation, a cult of personality, I dare say, with Viktor Orban in, in Hungary. Most of you have no idea who this guy is. Unless you watch Tucker Carlson, you might have heard him mention him in passing. Uh, you follow certain people on the right, you hear him. Uh, let me explain what's going on here. Viktor Orban is socially conservative. He has pushed back against the progressive left of the European Union on gay issues, transgender issues, uh, secular issues. He, he's for a strong church, as long as the church doesn't criticize him. He's for a robust press, as long as the press doesn't criticize him. Uh, he's, he's basically permissive uh, liberal world order for the West, so long as he doesn't get criticized. And people say, well, uh, there, there, are, there are news outlets in, in Hungary that criticize him. Yes, and he owns them. So some veneer of criticism is allowed, just not too much. He is a strong man of Europe. He is not Hitler, nor is he his re-election the end of democracy. There seem to be two camps on this. You either love him or you hate him. Uh, what about those of us who just don't care? The problem here is... There's a segment of the right right now in the United States uh, that when they shape policy, when they view policy, when they view what's going on in the world, they, they want a strong man because they kind of view we're, we're beyond the constitutional order. The, the way the Constitution has structured things, we're beyond it. Uh, the left continues to push and push and push and push and push. They've roped in the Fortune 500 to push on their behalf. Uh, we need someone on our side who can stand firm, stand fast, and stand against the left. And they looked at Victor Arban and they're like, well, look at this guy. Regularly gets elected by being a staunch social conservative. And really what's going on here is it's like, remember the in the 60s and 70s. Now, I wasn't born then either, but I'm a student of history. But I know because of that history that there was a strain of the left in the United States that loathed everybody, not them. And they flirted with the Soviets and socialists because they knew their system here. They did not have to live in that system. 
And so they flirted with that system as possibly superior to our system because they didn't know any better. They didn't know it. They didn't have to live there. But what they knew is they hated the people around them here. And the people around them here they hated, hated those other systems. So those other systems must be good. And that, I think, is what's happening to the right right now. The right, none of these people live in Hungary. None of them have to live in Hungary. They can hear little snippets to paint a picture that they like of Hungary. They know they hate the left here. They know they hate the, the progressives. They know they hate the social activists on the left. And Victor Urban, he, he browbeats them in Hungary, so he must be a good guy, so he must like them. You don't know anything about it, but you know you don't like what you have here. And so you imagine that what you don't know and have never lived under is better than what you have now because you've become disenchanted with what you have now. The undercurrent of it all is a bit of contempt for American culture. Just as the left in the 60s and 70s hated American culture and flirted with communism, you have parts of the new right doing the same thing now. And they probably won't admit it. Maybe some of them will. But one of the things they hate is right now, doesn't it seem like the Fortune 500 is out to get you if you're conservative? Doesn't it seem like the Fortune 500 is, is all in on the trans agenda? Uh, every pride parade has to have a, be sponsored by the Fortune 500. If you're, I mean, take Georgia, for example, where I am. Conservatives in Georgia have been trying to pass the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It's one of the few states in the nation that doesn't have RIFRA. And it's Delta and Home Depot and Coca-Cola that always stand up and oppose it on behalf of their gay employees. It seems like corporations are on the side of the left. It seems like the left is dominant in culture and in, in corporations and moving culture ever so more rapidly to the left. And so people, they kind of give up. They want to they want Victor Orban or they decide that, in fact, uh, our country is in a post-constitutional order We and we have to operate outside the rules of the Constitution. You know what's actually going on here? is actually conservatives have done very well. For all the people who say, what have, what has conservatism conserved? Conservatism has conserved the operation of this country to such an extent the left is beating you at your own game. And you don't like it and you're blaming conservatism and, and you're so angry about it, you don't realize that actually what's going on here is the left is playing by your rules. And maybe you should play by your rules. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what does the right say? We should have limited government. The Constitution is not a living, breathing document. It does not control society. Society largely is left free from government, and society left free from government can prevail. Well, the left said, all right, you guys have won on the judicial fight, and while we've been stacking courts, and now we've got Clarence Thomas in charge of the Supreme Court in all but name, They've been going out and moving into corporations and so wait, 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 you guys said uh, the country, the, the government can't touch this stuff. And so now they're using the Fortune 500 to advance their agenda. I mean, y'all, I mean, even in radio today, I can't tell you the number of people who tell me, if you keep talking about the social stuff, you're not going to get very far. You know, the, the, the owners of these companies, they're not conservative. By the way, I do think that's true to some degree. I, I, I do think if you pay attention to some of the large companies out there right now uh, in television and radio that you think might be conservative because they host conservatives, you, you rarely will hear people talk a lot about the social stuff. 
because the corporate powers at the end of the day, they're not very socially conservative. But what the right needs to understand is that it, we're not in a post-constitutional order. We're in the constitutional order in which conservatism prevailed. I mean, just think about it. We've had four years of Donald Trump. Two of those years, you had Republican control of Congress along with him. You're on the verge of a Republican wave again. Republicans control a majority of state legislatures, control a majority of state governor's mansions, control the majority of the judicial circuits, and control the U.S. Supreme Court in a minimum 5-4, maybe 6-3 majority. And somehow you think we're in a post-constitutional order and you think the world is going to hell in a handbasket? We're in the order where conservatives won and we won so big that you can't even recognize we won because the left has done something we failed to do. We rested on our laurels and they pivoted to play by our rules. And one of our chief rules is that there's a sphere of influence where the government can be and a sphere of influence where the government cannot be. And so the left has invaded the sphere of influence where the government cannot be in the private sector and now uses social media giants like Twitter to silence dissent. They use Fortune 500 companies to force employees into uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that are all intended to indoctrinate and to impose fear on anyone who dissents so they don't speak up. They have designed a private sector curriculum to impose in public sector schools. And they've taken over local school boards with a bunch of activists. They've done all the things conservatives said, if you want to win, do this. And guess what? The left did it. And now the right's like, oh, we're in a post-constitutional order. We have a lost society. No. You just, you got to play by your own rules. And there are a few things conservatives can actually do. In fact, there, there are more than a few things conservatives can do. One of the things conservatives can do is stop being an agent of the Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce has gone woke. Stop being a part of the chamber. Now, your local chambers of commerce in your county is pretty good entities. Your state and your federal, not so much. Remember, it's the Federal Chamber of Commerce just backed a bunch of Democrats for the first time. Also, look at private equity. You know, the left is fixated on this wealth gap. There is a wealth gap in the country. What's so notable is the gap gets larger when Democrats are in charge. And one of the reasons is because Democratic donors are big into private equity. You follow the money, major Democratic donors, major funders, they put a lot of money in private equity. Now, what is private equity? Well, you and I buy stocks on the stock market, publicly traded companies. They're privately held companies, but they publicly trade. So anyone can buy stock and become an owner of the company. Doesn't mean they're a public entity like the government. It just means they're publicly traded. What rich people do is they go to the private equity market where you and I can't get in there. We don't have the money to get in there. So what happens is they buy a lot of stuff in private companies. They will eventually put on the stock market. They'll get really rich off of that, and the wealth gap will grow. But regulation is somewhat nebulous there. Oversight is somewhat nebulous there. There's so much money poured in there. It's only a matter of time before the bubble bursts. And a lot of these private equity companies are going to lose their shirts, except they depend on the government to bail them out. Why? Because they are the richest of the rich. And they have so much influence in the economy, they convince the government if they go under, we all go under. Let them go under. Don't bail them out when the bubble bursts. Don't bail out the housing market when the bubble bursts. Stop bailing people out when bubbles burst. Let them go bankrupt so the little guy can take advantage of the creative destruction of the marketplace. That's the way the free market's supposed to work. But the left keeps 
using the right sympathies for big business to pick winners and losers and prop up businesses. Let them go under. And you know what? Stop giving things to Disney like extending copyrights. You don't have to treat corporations like they're some sort of special special group that needs special protections. No, stop doing it, conservatives. Play by your own rules. And eventually, those companies will realize, gosh, we got to stop being so woke. Because you know what? Conservatives are about to win. We're about to take back the House. We might just take the Senate. We'll probably take the presidency in two years, given the way Biden's going. There's going to be a recession afoot, and people will blame him. Conservatives control most of the states, most of the state legislatures, most of the state governor's mansions. We can't be in a post-constitutional order if conservatives control everything unless conservatives themselves are the ones who helped break the constitutional order. And I don't think we did. I think we were just so successful at the constitutional order that the left caught on and figured they had to fight a different way. Through the private sector, we've always been saying, go do. And now they're cleaning our clocks at it because we let them do it. And the way back is not to disrupt the constitutional order, but use it. Stop picking winners and losers in Washington. Stop siding with big corporations. And guess what? Those corporations will finally realize they're going to have to shut up and stay out of culture if they want to survive because bubbles are going to be burst here soon economically. The warning signs are all over the place. You know what? Let them go under. Stop doing nice things to Disney and also stop Republicans electing the managerial class like Larry Hogan. There's this segment of the Republican Party that thinks all you got to do is push certain buttons and turn certain knobs in ways different from the Democrats and the economy will just be smoking. And as long as the economy is good, everything's good. The problem is these Republicans reject the idea that you got to fight in culture. Democrats and the left put us in a culture war. We're not the warriors. They're the warriors. We get blamed for being culture warriors. We're, no, none of us wanted this fight. We're just having to defend the status quo ante. Be willing to fight in that and be willing to reject the Republicans who aren't willing to fight in that fight because those Republicans are just the ones the left has relied on to get into private sectors and make the situation worse. We got lots of opportunity here to fix the system. Y'all, we're about to have a Republican wave. I don't understand why Republicans are so angry and despondent and becoming so much like the left where they think the country is over. Let's flirt with Viktor Orban. No. To the extent the country's over, it's because you decided to abandon the fight that you won to begin with. Stop flirting with strong men in other countries and realize the United States, we've got a very long ways to go as a country. All we got to do is actually stand up and, and right some wrongs within the private sector, and you could actually use existing government power through conservative processes to fix that. I don't understand this despondency out there of, oh, the country's just gone to hell in a handbasket. We might as well. We need somebody like Viktor Orban. He's the leader of the West now. No, he's not. He's the leader of a tiny country in Europe with only a few million people. He cannot be equated to the United States of America. You shouldn't do it to the extent you do. You don't know a whole lot about him. He's not the end-all, be-all, nor is he Hitler. He's just some European power that most of the world doesn't care about. They care about us. They wave our flags at revolution and at protests around the world in Hong Kong and Iran and Egypt. They wave our flags. They want us. They don't want him. So start acting like it. Now, I got to tell you, a great American company is Eden Pure. They come up with some ingenious ideas, heaters, air conditioner, fans, 
uh, air purifiers and the Eden Pure Thunderstorm air purifier. I actually, the other day, someone who will go nameless smoked a cigar in a truck. And it kind of stunk afterwards. And I had my Eden Pure Thunderstorm. And it's got a little USB port in it, so you can plug it in with a USB cable. And so we took it to the car, to the truck. We plugged it in. We let it run for about 30 minutes in the truck. And it eliminated the odor. It worked. Right now, you can get three of them. One for your upstairs, your downstairs, your truck, your RV, your rental car. I keep one in my suitcase for when I'm traveling if the hotel room stinks. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com. And use the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you'll get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. It's EdenPureDeals.com. You use the discount code ERIC3, and it works. I mean, did it on Friday, got stinky odor out of a truck. You can, too. EdenPureDeals.com. You get three of them for less than $200 with the discount code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K-3. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan Nationwide. They can help your business grow. You can reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. If you need $750,000 or more for your business, tell them I sent you. Spend some time with them. See if y'all are good fits for each other, firstlibertyga.com. University of Illinois has decided if you want tenure there, you've got to introduce a statement on your diversity contribution on your diversity contribution of all faculty members for tenure and promotion. See, this is an example where conservatives can just say, you know, we're not get, we're not funding institutions that make those on the tenure track participate in DEI nonsense. It's very easy to do. I mean, get the law passed, put it in reconciliation, bypass the filibuster. You can do these things within the existing system if you just set your mind to doing it. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.